Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Divorced. Beheaded. Died. Divorced. Beheaded. Survived. And tonight, we are... Hello, all theatre lovers, both out and proud and on the DL. Welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theatre's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called The British Invasion. And it's the final episode! Woo! It is covering shows that originated in the United Kingdom and then transferred across the pond to our Great White Way, some making a giant splash and some barely making a ripple. I am your host, Matt Koplik, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway Podcast hosts, and with me today is a... She's not Beanie Feldstein, but she is a funny girl. But um, you... Either have seen her on the stage in the Office musical parody. You most likely know her from her absolutely brilliantly bonkers, bonkersly brilliant social media presence with her and her new husband. Congrats, by the way. Uh, and I'm sure after this episode comes out, you're going to see a video that they make saying uh, how gay men podcast in a musical. <laughs> I'm a fan. Please welcome Katie Johansson. Hello. Hello. Hello, darling. Hello. I, I think I we said should the talk name correctly. This. Yes, you did. You nailed I it. Fantastic. Nailed yeah. it. Yeah. I honestly choked the moment I started to say it. Yeah, it's very funny. So that's like sort of why everyone calls me Katie Joe because mm-hmm. like Johansson is just a lot. Yeah. Um, but it has gotten to a point where people will be like, Katie Joe, what is your last name? And then I'm like, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh wait, let me explain. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm not Southern. In any possible way. <laughs> I love that. I love that your friends just after years go, wait, I don't actually know your last yeah. name. Yeah, I do notice that when people like newer friends will be like, and this is Katie Joe. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, like they're like, and they'll say like, Katie Joe, what do you want to drink? And I'm like, oh, wait, oh, okay. Like you really think that is like my first name, uh, yeah. which is fine. I mean, look, I'll take it. It's not terrible. Yeah, you could do- it does, fits my vibe, I think. Does your husband know your last name? He does. He does. Thank God. Thank God. I know. It's so funny. We talked about, like, if I would take his last name, which I did consider because it's much easier. Mm. It's, like, five letters. Panka. P-E-N-C-A. Katie Panka. And that is very cute. Katie Panka. I feel that... It reminds me a little bit of Topanga for some reason. I don't know (gasps) why that is. Katie Panka. Katie Panka, Topanga. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic character. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's fun. I didn't think about that. Well, so anyway, I've been well, deciding. Yeah. <laughs> no one else thinks that. But I've been trying to think like, do I want to change my last name? But I feel very connected to my complicated, hard to spell and pronounce last name. Absolutely. Well, I mean, speaking of marriage and connections and finding your own identity. Yeah. Katie, what British musical are we talking about today? We are talking about six. Six. Six five. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, just, you know, all about the marriage and identity and both understanding your identity and history to a person, specifically a man, and then also 
creating your own sense of self and yeah. your own narrative. Oh, wow. You know what? I didn't even think about how well that would connect. I didn't even I mean, I myself. definitely did that on purpose, and I came here extremely prepared. I, listen, I have <laughs> Talk notes. Talk about deep themes. I have notes, as I usually do, but am I prepared? We shall see. Yeah. I mean, I could have asked you in our correspondence how to pronounce your name, but no, I asked you five seconds before I started recording. No, I think that's good. It's fresh. You know what I mean? I am fresh, direct, honey, (laughs) boo-boo, child. Katie, what is your history, her story, with CX? Well, I really didn't know. I'd heard about the show, but I didn't really know much about it. And then I was invited by a friend to the first preview mm. back in the day. Before time. <laughs> yeah, God, it was like probably the last live thing I saw, right? Because that would have been yeah. March 2020, early March 2020. Yeah. And I went into it, you know, with like a very basic understanding of what it would be. And I had a great time. And then the world shut down. Mm. And now it's back. And now it's back. And, and I'm really glad ever. it is. Because I was, I was worried there for a while. Like, will they get to come back? Mm. Like, Yeah. It's... Mm, the whole things shutting, uh, closing and not coming back to Broadway scenario that happened for mm-hmm. a little bit. I'm not trying to stir the pot. Mm-hmm. However, all the shows that were running... Yeah. We're about to open and then said we're not coming back. Uh, there were reasons for it. Uh-huh. And so uh-huh. when, not to speak out of school, but I remember when Frozen announced they were clo- they were not coming back and people were like, if Disney's closing shows, what's next? And I went, Disney was going to kind of close it. I, anyway, I yeah. felt that. Yeah. I, I feel like everything that closed, for the most part, felt like things that were probably going to close soon anyway. Yes. So, it, like, obviously it's always sad when a show closes, but I didn't feel that there were any, like, torturous losses in yeah. that way. Like, I, I don't know. I just felt like when I heard the Frozen was closing and then I heard that Mean Girls was closing, I was like, oh, like, I mean, it's obviously a bummer for the people that were mm-hmm. in it to not have that closure. And you're like, there goes my opportunity. Yeah, right. <laughs> I really was gunning for Olaf, but um, we'll I was see. gunning for Regina. Yeah. And then they were like, no. I mean, I was like, I have the attitude and the legs. I'll, all I need is the high note. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, yes, it's always sad when a show closes because it's the end of the chapter but right. with every closing comes a, a national tour and, and also a birth <laughs> of a new show yes that's the nature of Broadway yes which is why whenever people go oh so you want people to get a, you know, have no jobs be out of work and when well I'm excited for the new work that's about to come to other people it's yeah it's a circle of strife also like I don't know that's sort of snarky for people to say it's like of course we don't want people to be out of work but we're actors we're always out of work yeah <laughs> it's gonna happen eventually no one went into <laughs> theater being like job security Right, exactly. Yeah. And also, like, very rarely do you have people who stay with the show for the length of the run. I mean, yeah. I think a handful of people. Usually people are out after a year sometimes, too, because with that kind of uh, artistic endeavor, with those kind of artistic endeavors, it's about finding new things to do and, and right. expanding your craft and, and, and your mind, you yeah. know? Challenging yourself yeah. every day. Yeah, it's not just on social media. Exactly. Exactly. But so the good news is that Six did not close. Six yeah. actually opened. We'll get to all that in just a minute. Yay. Although it is pretty, it's pretty fresh in people's minds, I suppose. Mm-hmm. When this episode comes out, it will have been running for a, almost two months. Oh, great. So we were, so these come out on Thursdays. Okay. And I did the math right before you came over. And okay. And I realized 
this episode would technically come out on Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm I've been very thankful for that. I, yeah. I am thankful that we're giving. Yeah. The people what they want. You're welcome. But Haney Joe, I was wondering for your little insight, your little, your large insight, yeah, your wonderful, okay. very important insight. This is a feminism episode, okay? It's my big insight. Let's <laughs> <laughs> look at graphic here, okay? Yeah. So, but do you think in your wisdom, in your married wisdom, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. are someone who found someone who yeah. found you? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. very difficult to do, so yes. you have more wisdom than I do. Okay. Should I release this on a Friday instead? Oh. The day after Thanksgiving when people are filled up with food and need something to listen to while That's they're lying down. That's true. I mean, Friday is sort of famously the day of, like, lazy activities. Yeah. I feel like that could be a good idea. Okay. Yeah, like, because Friday, I feel like, is usually the day, yeah, you just sort of, like, loaf about. Maybe you go for a walk at mm-hmm. most. But ultimately, like, I like to go to the movies the day after Thanksgiving. That's a good thing to do. I wonder yeah. what I might see at the movies. Uh, Will Spencer be out by then? Speaking <gasps> of British royalty, oh, I'm I so, so excited. I cannot wait. <laughs> by this point, I will have seen Diana on Netflix. Oh, I actually, I well, the Bachelor in Paradise finale is tonight. My plan was to go home and continue my like British royal musical day, yeah. and finally watch it because I've been dying to watch it. But I was at a wedding all weekend. But watch it this week. I'll watch I, it. So I, we do not follow each other on Instagram yet. Right, but. I mean, I've been a stalker fan, but I, I didn't want to start following you until I met you. But right, uh, point is, sometimes when I'm home alone, yeah, I grab a bottle of wine uh-huh. and I find something to watch on the TV that yeah. I ha- usually that I haven't watched before. So right. mostly it's been like the shitty Disney remakes, Ooh, yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah. Aladdins, mm. Be- uh, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, stuff like that. Yeah, and I Instagram story the entire thing. Oh yes, I was going to do Diana yesterday. <gasps> And then all the apps shut down. Oh my gosh, that's right. And I had announced it too. That's and it was so like, funny. I, I take it personally that Facebook was like, oh no, the internet cannot handle your yeah. drunken take on Diana that's on Netflix. That's so funny. But I will have watched it by now. Yeah, by this dear, point. dear listeners, if you remember the digital apocalypse, the great <laughs> digital apocalypse of early October 2021, mm-hmm. that is what we are referring to. Absolutely. I think of it as the uh, six hour cleanse. Yeah. I know everyone was like, Everyone was like, wow, this is good. We all need a break. And I'm like, as I read everyone saying that on Twitter, yeah. as I scroll for hours, I was I, like, yeah, it's annoying, but it'll yeah. be back. It'll be back. And then it came back and no one uh, changed their ways whatsoever. Yeah. Oh my God, what a wonderful vacation that was for five hours. Uh, yeah. It's like, girl, those are three episodes of The Queen's Gambit that exactly, you just Exactly, exactly. I just watched, just continued to binge Real Housewives of Beverly Hills in peace, so... Speaking of the real house. Oh, yes. It's six. Yes. Yes. So you saw it. Were you familiar with the music before you saw it? No. Okay. I really went in blind. I love that. Yeah. Were you familiar with the Tudor history before you saw the show? Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm into, I'm into history stuff. I can't say that I totally am, but I will say Anne Boleyn is one of my most uh, passionate historical figures. Yeah. You know those super questions. Super interesting. Those questions when people go, "Who are the three people you'd invite to a dinner party?" I'd invite Anne Boleyn, yeah, Mister Rogers, and Howard Ashman. Wow, great choices. Thank you. Well, Ashman and I would just talk Broadway all day long. Right, right, Mr. right. Mister right. Rogers would teach me how to be a better person. Yeah, uh-huh. and then Anne Fair. Boleyn would just be like, "Here's how you get men to change a country for you." Yeah. I have lots of questions. I have so many questions. Lots for of her. questions. She got a lot done in a short amount of time. She did, and like the landscape of England would be so different yeah. if she didn't exist. 
it's really wild. Yeah. I really, I love all like Tudor content for mm. that reason. Did you like the Tudors? Um, I tried to watch that one. That's like where they're all just so hot, right? Yeah, everyone's yeah, hot. Yeah, that's like the problem. I'm like, they're too hot. Like yeah. those people were butt ugly. <laughs> well, I thought Natalie Dormer was a was a convincing Anne. Oh well, she's that was actually she was very very well cast. Yes, in that. but they claimed that Jonathan Rhys Meyers was going to get uglier as the show progressed. Yeah, and they didn't totally get there. They gave him a beard and he gained a little weight. But like, yeah. the thing with Henry is that he was supposed to be pretty handsome when he was younger and right. then we'll get into it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. with uh bolin and jane seymour but yes I've, and also beauty standards at the time were different absolutely. so like if and everybody's ugly then somebody has to be hot like, you know what I mean? <laughs> somebody has to be hot <laughs> exactly but that's good so we'll, we can talk about all that history as we talk with the show so were you kind of geeking out with a lot of the stuff when you watched the show yeah i mean i i i thought what they did with it was like super super clever and mm -hmm. i i'm obviously more familiar with like you know the og catherine and Anne Boleyn. so mm -hmm. it was interesting to sort of hear the stories of the later wives because yeah. i don't know as much about them i mean their lives are not as uh long as catherine of aragon's nor are they right. as tumultuous as Anne's. yeah 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 which is probably why but yeah, they each have some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I will also say to people who love Six, Six is a great jumping off point to get into Tudor history. It yeah. is not exactly accurate. No. Nor does it necessarily it's, need to be. Ultimately, it's 90 minutes long. Yeah. It's, yeah maybe it would be like a little less than that. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, Tudor history it's, it goes yeah. back thousands of years. So. Exactly. And some of the facts that they do say in the show are not 100% accurate as right. well. Right. But it's... It, the general idea is yes, correct. And, yes. and even the details are not so important so much as it is about the angle that each wife gets in the yes, show. Yes, yes. Um, I, I do hope that people wouldn't expect it to be like a full-blown history lesson. So, I mean, Hamilton, everyone's <laughs> like, it's the it's exactly that. And then Lin-Manuel Miranda comes out, he's like, well, actually, Angelica and Eliza had brothers, <laughs> which I just right. fail to include. Yeah, well, um, no one cares about men. <laughs> no one cares about men. The only reason I care about them is because I'm... For some reason, attracted to them. Yeah, I mean, same, but like ultimately, yeah, it's all about the sisters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the sisters. I was made aware of Six around the summer of 2019, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little earlier than that. Whenever they had their Olivier performance, that right. is when I was made aware of them. A lot of the gays mm. were going off about it. Oh, it's yeah. finally coming to Broadway. And when they had the tour, I knew a lot of people who saw it. Yeah. And I really wanted to see the show. I didn't want to listen to the music until I saw it. Yeah. That was really important to me. I really try not to yeah, get Yeah, I like spoiled. to do that too. Yeah. I try not to get spoiled by it ahead of time. And then the world shut down. I was like, well, who knows when I'm going to get to see this show. Right. So I caved and listened to the score. Yeah. Loved it. It's become a go-to uh, gym playlist for yes, me. Yes. Very good for that. Very mm -hmm. good for that. And I have now since watched certain slime tutorials and I hope to see it live very soon. Yeah. I keep entering the lottery. I keep losing. Yeah. Because homophobia. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. such is life. Anyway, so that's our intro to the show. Let's talk about how we got ourselves a little six. If there's anything you want to include, by all means. I don't know how much you know or don't know. Or if there are any questions you have. This, t this section tends to be more of a monologue on my end. And Great. Listeners know I love to fucking talk. But I also love interjections. Great. I will interject as necessary. <laughs> Thanks, Katie Gio. <laughs> so Six is a musical, book, music, and lyrics by Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss, 
Marlowe and Moss met at Cambridge University. Marlowe was studying literature, Moss was studying history, and Marlowe saw a student production that Lucy Moss had directed, and Marlowe was super on board with her. He was like, this chick knows where it's at. And they became pretty good friends, and then they also worked on another student production together, and then just sort of became inseparable. Uh, Marlowe was an aspiring songwriter, had a lot of experience in theater, was a child performer, worked on stage and in film. Moss got into musical theater through dance. She, uh, I think, did a lot of ballet and, and choreography, then went to a musical theater school before going to Cambridge. 2016, Toby Marlowe was chosen to write an original musical for the Cambridge University Musical Theatre Society. Ooh. Yeah, let's say that. I think the, so much fancier in the UK. Right? The Cambridge Musical Theatre, uh, the Cambridge University Musical Theatre Society. Yeah, mine was like, shooting star summer stage. <laughs> well, at Emerson, we had our Musical Theatre Society, but it just doesn't sound as fancy. No. Especially when I know the shows that we did. Right. Musical Theatre Society. <laughs> yeah, Emerson College is Musical Theatre Society. <laughs> but they let me stage carousel, so we, oh. we let them go on yes yeah go off this so the this is actually where it is fancy though the musical was going to have a spot at the edinburgh Fe- uh, festival fringe or mm. the fringe as it's called and yes. listeners will remember the fringe for being where alan bennett's beyond the fringe premiered with um what's his face dudley moore and mm. that's also where rosencrantz and Guildenstern premiered mm-hmm. more recently that's where fleabag premiered a few years ago right. so it's it's a spot but yeah it's not a guaranteed uh, jumping off point because right. there are over 3,000 entries every year. It's yeah. open access, so there's no selection. You just, you go. And they have a million theaters of various sizes. Some are, you know, proper 100-seat theaters. Some are literally a 20-seat, you know, bathroom. And it's 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 what you make of it. And mm-hmm. your show can uh, either do very, very well or it can sort of go by unnoticed. Marlowe didn't know what kind of show it was going to be, but they did know that it was going to be predominantly a female or non-binary cast. Cool. And also knew that it was going to include a lot of pop music, and it was going to have a famous subject matter. It wasn't going to be an original story or adapted from a book. It was going to be something maybe historical. And had a couple of ideas. One was The Real Housewives of Shakespeare. I love that. Yeah. I don't watch any of the Real Housewives <gasps> stuff. I know. I'm I'm a recent convert, so okay. I can't really like admonish you too much. I I don't. I said this once before, and I don't mean this in a judgy way. I swear, this is just my own journey. The only two pieces of reality show I watch are Drag Race mm. and Great British Bake Off. Yeah. Because I both great shows, wonderful shows. I just don't love making people famous for doing nothing. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. And that's how I used to feel. I used to be like, I used to very much like suppress and like, like judge my interest in reality television because mm-hmm. it was like, oh, these people don't deserve it. They don't do anything. Whatever. Real television's where it's at. But like over COVID, I just sort of like embraced my actual love for reality TV and just leaned in all the way. Okay. Because I was always like, I watched The Bachelor, but it's just to make fun of it, which like is true, but also I love it. And you know all their names. I know all their names. I'm extremely invested. <laughs> and then like, you know, then I got, yeah, I mean, Great British Breaking Show is like, everybody loves that. If you don't, I'm sorry, what's wrong with you? You might be dead inside if you, <laughs> you don't You don't like love it. yourself if you don't love that You show. don't like nice things. No, it's, no. It's, that show is just sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's medicine. Is it, it is. You know it's people, just delightful. You know those phrases people always say on YouTube videos, like, this cleared my skin and cured yes. my crop, stuff like mm-hmm. that? 
Great British Bake Off literally does that for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Also, I'm such an Anglophile, I won't call it the Great British Baking Show. That's what I'm oh, stupid yes, American saying. Oh, yes, Great British Bake Off. That's great right. Great British Bake Off. But so, <clears throat> uh, one of the ideas was Real Housewives of Shakespeare. Another was maybe a backstory for the witches in Macbeth. A lot of Shakespearean stuff going mm, on here. Mm-hmm. Eventually landed on the idea of the six wives of Henry VIII, and then thought about what if it was sort of like a pop concert? Yeah. Maybe that would incorporate the pop stuff. Uh, Marlowe also knew... I'm also not entirely sure what Marlowe's pronouns are. Mm. I think it's he. In the New York Times article that I used for research, mm-hmm. uh, Toby Marlowe was addressed as he, him, his. Mm-hmm. And I think that's correct. So I'm going to continue with those pronouns for the time being. Because... Yeah. Uh, I'll look it up while you continue. Well, their, their Twitter and, and Instagram don't show oh, pronouns. I see. I see. But you can check it out. Yeah. yeah I will, I'm going to continue with those pronouns for now, as that is what my research has informed mm-hmm. me. But... Uh, and that's not me projecting. I just, I know that both Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss have been very vocal about yeah. inclusion of uh, non-binary, transgender, uh, heterosexual, cisgender, male, female, homosexual, all that wonderful stuff. And so I just want to make sure that I'm giving both of them their proper due. Any who's all. Knew that there was going to be a pop concert because Toby Marlowe said that uh, he really wanted to kind of play with structure and not make it be so straightforward and that's something that Sondheim always used to say was you know like um the for this the the concept is sort of dictated by the idea you don't go like I'm gonna do an xyz it's like you come up with the idea of what you want to do and then what you naturally gravitate towards becomes the yeah, structure. Yeah, yeah 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 so for this you know the idea of have it, doing a show about the six wives of Henry VIII then turned into well maybe it's a concert like it wasn't yeah. it wasn't all one thing, um, and because uh, Lucy Moss was a history major at Cambridge and a director Toby Marlowe was like I gotta get Lucy to do this uh, he used the book by Antonia Fraser I believe yeah that Wives of Henry VIII by Antonia Fraser uh, as his um, research and inspiration for the show. And ironically, Frasier knew Lucy Moss because Lucy Moss was really oh. good friends with Antonia, with Antonia Frasier's grandson. These things just have a way of connecting. Meant to be. You know? Meant exactly. To be. A lot of Lucy Moss's history studies were about feminist and revisionist history. So mm. figuring out, uh, finding a new angle on how to discuss history. Because mm. I feel like for the longest time, we were taught history of, like, it happened like this, it happened like this, and everyone just knows X, Y, and Z. And we forget that these were people, that that attitudes differed from person to person, and that the truth is sort of in the middle of what, like, five different people said, not necessarily what just one person said. Yeah, exactly. And what what were our sources at the time? Who was getting to write stuff down and share it and publicize it and keep it around? And, uh, you know... Yes, 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 girl. Sorry, I was touching my nose. I I forgot podcasts (laughs) are not a visual medium. (laughs) So they begin work on the show. It sort of happens in bursts. They write it over the course of like six months or so. They tell the Cambridge University Musical Theater Society, this is the show we're going to do. And they're like, great, write it. And we need a title because we have to submit this to Edinburgh. And they had a bunch of titles, all kind of variations on six or X's. So it was like six X's, sixes, X wives. Uh, Another one was... uh, the X's, Six Thorns, Six Roses, Remix Six. Like, it's just a lot, like, yeah, a lot of that lot. stuff. They eventually decided on Six, but they thought it was still too simple mm. at first. So the uh, title became Six Divorce Beheaded Live. Because they 
because the way that Edinburgh works is you get this pamphlet with all the shows in it, and we're talking like thousands of shows. Yeah. So like we needed to ha- be catchy, like catch the eye, but also inform them exactly what it what, is. What? Yeah. So they're like, there you go. There you go. Uh, they had different pop stars in mind for each wife. Mm. They each, you know, each wife was based off of a certain pop star. So obviously, or an amalgamation of pop stars. Is that mm. the word I want to yeah. use? Yeah. Yeah. I tend to use the wrong words a lot, but it just sounds right. I think that's right. Fantastic. Sounds good to me. Lovely. I went (laughs) to school for musical theater, not for vocabulary. (laughs) Oh my God, same. (laughs) Oh my God. I went for a minor in vocabulary. (laughs) But so Catherine of Aragon was mostly inspired by Beyonce, Anne Boleyn by Miley Cyrus, Mm. Jane Seymour, Adele, Anna of Cleves, Nicki Minaj, uh Mm. uh, Catherine Howard, Ariana Grande, Catherine Parr, Alicia Keys. Yes. And you absolutely hear it. It's clear. It's very clear. Wow, see, I didn't look that up, but I was right. Actually, I don't know if I would have guessed Miley. I feel but like... I, I can see it. I've got, like, a little Katy Perry vibes yes, as well. yeah. But I think it's more sort of because in the show, Anne Boleyn is a little more party girl antagonistic, and that's more yeah. Miley's vibe than Katie's vibe. True, 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 true. But I think that... I'm sure there are inspirations of Katy Perry in there. There are other... Uh, Avril Lavigne was also a big inspiration for the sound of Amber. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so uh, that was something they were working on. They also were playing around with how many characters they were going to be. They thought about mm. maybe having all of the wives, like children, as the backup singers. And oh, they were wow. thinking of even including um, Halbine the Younger as a character. And then they're like, well, let's just make it the wives. It's simpler. It'll be easier to cast. This show is a great example of less is more. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, like, just knowing when to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Sim- sometimes the simplest idea is the best idea. Yeah. Which I have always having to remind myself of. <laughs> 100%. They used Beyonce's Live from Roseland elements of four concert as yeah. a reference point for the show. It's how to. Yeah. Oh, was, was it? Well, the, the all female band, like being on stage with them, it's so Beyonce. I just, I've never watched uh, Live from Roseland, or at least not from start to finish. I've yeah. seen a lot of Beyonce content for sure. And, I, yeah. and for. I very controversially say is her best album. I think four oh, is. I think it is very, very good as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think everyone. I think it's her wonderful. best pop album. Sure. Well, I guess you're now you're not including uh, visual albums as well, right? Well, I I don't know if I would I would categorize her her more recent stuff as pop. Right. You know. That's fair. It's the last like mainstream album. That was the last album. Sorry, all her albums are mainstream. She's Beyonce, but the last yeah. one she did with under like that felt very much like under the record labels yeah. guidance in the milieu of which we consider pop. Yeah, music. like she, it felt like four allowed her to be like, okay, now I'm gonna do what I want. Yeah, afterwards, but I oh, love four. I, I love four. I love four, and I love the album after that, Beyonce, the one where she famously just released it, it with was, no promos. Do you remember where you were when it Oh, happened? I remember exactly where I was. I feel like was. it's like everyone knows where they were when that happened. Yep. She literally changed culture. I love 100%. Beyonce. I could go on and on. Well, the, it was the first time anyone did uh, an album where there was a music video to go with every single yeah. song. Well, and she's the first person to just drop it as a surprise. Absolutely. Just, which we, now is like so common. No fanfare. Just, it showed up yeah. on iTunes and oh. everyone, oh my god. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. God. I love it. My mom what does not time. like the song Blow, and I think it's 
amazing. Yeah. She just doesn't like the lyrics. She thinks it's rather vulgar. And I went, she's talking about her cherry. She can't wait till he comes and tears it out. It's great. Yeah, who cares? Woman, don't listen to it then. <laughs> don't listen to she's it. She's sex positive. She is. Well, this this is pre-my mom watching Sex Education. And now she's not right. sex positive. Oh, wow. Oh, that's good. I have not watched that show. But everyone is always raving about it. It's on my short list. It's... Sex Education, Dairy Girls. Oh, yeah. Get into both, guys. Yeah. They're just so fantastic. Yes. So, they always knew from day one that Henry was never going to be in the show. Mm. He was going to be a pre- lingering presence, but he was right. not going to be in it. Because they are already so defined by him. Right. They, as I said, they decided to sort of call the show Six, Divorce Beheaded Live. It's just going to be the Six Wives. They go to Edinburgh. And the show does not win any awards, but mm-hmm. they get some very encouraging reviews. And by the end of the run, they end up selling out the last couple of shows. Great. And they start getting some good feedback. They do a second production back at Cambridge, and Toby Marlowe knew George Styles of Styles and Drew. <gasps> he oh. of Betty Blue Eyes. He of half of the score to Mary Poppins on stage. Wow. I think, oh, did they also do Honk, Styles and Drew? I think they did. I don't know. I'm not. I never did honk as a kid, so I, I don't have the allegiance to it that a lot of people do. You don't have the allegiance to it's a poultry tale. Bum bum bum. I know. I I need to educate myself because I know it is canon. I just feel like if you didn't do it as a kid, you. I know. I know. My listeners are very aware that I say this quite a lot, but I do think it is apropos here, at Katie Joe. Yeah. You're an uncultured fuck. I, I, I agree. I agree. I know. I really, I really showed my hand there by admitting I don't know anything about Hawk. You know, every... Well, uh, here's the thing. I know Jesse J was in it, and I have watched that clip many times. Yes, she was. Because it is iconic. It is so iconic. Jesse J. Oh, my God. For, for, why wasn't she an inspiration for one of the queens? I mean, her... I, look, her presence is everywhere. She's like it's, it's she's true. like a pop star. It's so interesting that she's like blown up as much because mm-hmm. it's almost like she's too good. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that way a lot. She's consistent and she's real and she doesn't need studio uh, mixing to sound good. She just like comes out and is amazing. And she like loves musical theater. Yeah, that's what, where, she got, where what, she got her start. Where do you want to see her in on Broadway? Oh, jeez. Well, put a pin in that because that's a yeah. question that we're going to come to I at know. the end of the episode. Gonna, we can think about that. Yes. I mean, honestly, I'd see her in this. but Yeah, but no, it has to, I want it to be something. Sure. Like. Well, so before we go into her on Broadway, mm. what's the, what song from Six would you most want to hear Jesse J cover? Oh, wow. I mean, any of them would be insane. Yeah. I think I'd want... The like the the la- I'd see I don't remember the names of the songs. The I don't need your love. The yeah, last one. I think, and I know that the show is very fluid in terms of how it casts um, uh, ethnicities, mm. but and I, I do know that Catherine of Aragon tends to be cast with uh, an actress of color. Mm-hmm. But I do think that No Way would fit. Oh yeah, his voice I mean the it's, best. that one definitely feels like a song that she would release. One hundred percent. That's the thing. I'm like any of those songs. I just want. Yeah. I just. I just want to see her riff as much as scientifically possible. <laughs> Just because, like, she can. And I don't normally want that. I don't want people riffing too much. But for her, I'm like, no, no, no. As much as possible, just so we know what it, but it's physically possible. Oh, sure. I want to see Jessie J play Phyllis and Follies. And I want to hear oh the riff she does on Could I Leave You. <laughs> so you read a Bible verse that I'm cursed because I was your brother's wife. You say it's a pity because quoting Leviticus, I'll end up kiddieless all my life. Thank you. 
So, uh, George Stiles brings a West End producer friend to come see the second production at Cambridge. They come together with some other producers to give it a week-long professional uh, presentation on the West End. And from there, they record an album before uh, eventually doing a national tour. The album goes on Spotify and Apple Music and explodes. Mm. That's how I think a lot of people got into it was the album. And so it was already playing... By the time it was playing venues on the national tour in 2019, they had like thousands of fans coming to see the show, like cosplaying. And it was, yeah, absolutely insane. They do the national tour for a couple of months and then they come into the West End at the Arts Theater, where they got nominated for five Olivier Awards, including Best Musical, although they lost to Come From Away. Mm. The actresses collectively were given a nomination for Featured Actress, yeah, which I really like, although that won't happen here. They ended up losing to Patti Lupin in Mm. Company, Mm. which, you know, how can you not? Yeah. The show's also gotten a uh, second wave of fandom through TikTok, as that has started to rise Uh in the last two years. Uh Which, I mean, I still don't totally get... TikTok. Mm-hmm. Do you have a TikTok? I do, yeah. It's actually um, technically my most successful platform. And really? I, I use it the least because I just, I don't understand it very well. But I love it. I think of it as like a big talent show. Sure. And everyone's just showing off what they can do. Absolutely. I may, Who knows what's going to happen in the month and a half after we record this. Maybe I'll have a TikTok by this point. As of yeah. right now, on this October 5th. I don't have a TikTok. If for nothing else, just to watch like the videos, because it's so fun. I'm like, oh, let's watch someone bake a beautiful pie. <laughs> and then people do and that then, on TikTok. Yeah, they do everything. That's I mean, it's like a talent show. And then the algorithm figures out what you like, and then it can just be like lots of relaxing people making pie videos. Oh, lovely. Yeah, that's I think that's what mine is. We love. We, <laughs> oh well, we love to see it. So they. We're playing the West End. They eventually did have to shut down due to COVID, but we'll get back to that in a second. They do tours, uh, more tours in the UK, Australia, and then productions on cruise ships, which Mm. was a very interesting turn that no one really saw coming. And they finally... Get that cruise money. They they got that cruise money. It's the perfect show for a cruise. Yeah. I get it. 80 minutes, six person cast. Anything without an intermission, pop that right on a cruise. Absolutely. Yeah. Fun home on a cruise. (laughs) Yeah, people love that. Absolutely. (laughs) That's a cruise vibe. Telephone wire, the biddies going to Cabo on that cruise, they would love telephone wire. So the show finally gets announced to come to Broadway. They're going to do a six-month tour where I know they go to Chicago, they go to Boston, I think they go to St. Paul. They play the ART in Boston, I know that for sure. And then finally... The production was going to open at the Brooks Atkinson Theater on March 12th, 2020. Oh my god. But on March 12th, 2020, Broadway shut down for what we were told was going to be a month. Then it became six weeks, then it became two months, and then it became indefinitely. Jeez. Yep. Then it does finally open on October 3rd, that of the Mean Girls Day. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. 2021. At the Brooks Atkinson Theater still. Mm -hmm. With the same cast. Yes. Love it. Thank god. What happened afterwards... We'll get into in just a minute. But first, Katie Joe, what is Six about? Um, it's about the six lives of Henry VIII and um but they're spice girls. And that's literally the It pitch. is ultimately it is Spice Girls the musical, but the subject matter happens to be 
British history, which makes sense. What if the Spice Girls wrote Cell Block Tango? That is... Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, what if there was a six Spice Girls and, yeah, they only wrote about history? Yeah, 100%. And there's there's a minor bit of plot. They are holding a competition for the audience Mm. where whoever can prove they had it worse with Henry, yeah, they get to lead the girl band that they run in the afterlife, I suppose. Un- yeah, yeah, yeah. Unclear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't exactly we is. don't need to know. We all get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so each gal does their does their turn. Yeah. And some songs are story songs. Some songs are monologues to Henry. Mm. Some songs are just statement songs. Mm-hmm. And it's quite lovely. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. So you said you knew much about Aragon and Bolin. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how did you get into them, may I ask? Oh, I I think it's sort of the I think probably a lot of actors feel this way of just being like really interested in like characters from mm-hmm. history. And I think us also because it is already such a like they've been such a big focus in culture. Mm-hmm. There are so many movies and books and T V shows about there. And it's just, for me, it's just interesting to read about women from different time periods and, like, things from their perspective. So I like to read a lot of, like, historical fiction written from their perspective. Right. Of, like, what would it be like? Yeah. Um, which is kind of exactly what this musical is. So oh, yeah. I was already going to like it. Yeah, with, like, a Gen Z vibe to yeah. it, though. A lot of that yeah, verbiage. Yeah, very Gen Z. I, I grew up um, really into, like, American Girl Dolls. And, like, there was this book series called, like, Dear America. Mm-hmm. All- yes, did you read? I were did. You there also were books like that that were... For, I might have. I think I have a Dear America book behind you, but it's it's, oh it's a god. boy. It's a boy in a Japanese internment camp. Oh my god! Oh yeah, yeah wait, here it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, right there, right next to Harriet the Spy. Oh my gosh, I loved. I mean, also loved Harriet the Spy. I mean, you. I think you would love my entire book. I collection. know. I'm actually. I gotta. I need to really go through this. Absolutely, go through it. and then my DVDs behind me as well. My book. Yeah. My my room, guys, is a clutter of books, DVDs, and scripts. This is amazing. Wow. I got, I'm got. i turning away from the mic to your books. <laughs> yeah. I probably you, shouldn't. You look, you look at I my will. books while I talk then. Yeah. But <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of stuff on Anne Boleyn. There's Anne of a Thousand Days, mm-hmm. The Tudors, and that's her and Catherine Aragon. Well, the other Boleyn girl, whoever wrote, she, the author, I'm blanking on her name. I hate that movie. Yeah. The movie's not great, but the book, the author of that book writes a lot of like historical fiction novels from the perspective of different women from that sort of time period mm-hmm. and they're sort of written in that like diary format yeah. which was like the kinds of books I loved growing up yeah so I think that's why I've sort of like sure gotten into that yeah there was but there was a series as well that did something similar but with women of history yeah mm. like I, I remember one for Marie Antoinette one for Elizabeth the first yes oh those books because they had like gold leaf yep. on the yep. yes I just looked those up because I, I tweeted about like and it was always them like as a teenager yes yes oh my god because yeah that Marie Antoinette one was like blue and it had yep. the gold leaf yep. cover oh and uh Cleopatra um, I think was D- yellow oh it was like the princess no not princess diaries because obviously princess yeah, diaries is another like iconic series yeah but I was just thinking about that because yeah. yes, I like those books yeah. as well. And they made a mini series of those books as well. I they remember did? they did one. I remember they did one with <gasps> Elizabeth the first. Oh my god! And the actress who was the alien sister in Stepsister from Planet Weird played Elizabeth. I'll never forget it. Oh my! Because I I, there's that. only just I just remember one scene in particular because it takes place while Elizabeth is a teenager okay. or, or a youngish teenager. Right. So Henry has not died yet. Okay. Um, I think. I think it's right before Henry dies, or it's while their younger brother is 
king. But no, I think it's yeah. I think it's I think it's while Henry is still alive. I think you're and right because Ma- Mary is in court. Royal Diaries, maybe. That's maybe what that's what it's called. called. Something it was something like that. Like that. Yeah. yeah, and I remember there's a scene with Mary and Elizabeth, and Mary basically uh, is bullying Elizabeth by telling her a story about Anne and her death, and she basically was like, "Do you know when your mother died that the coffin was too small, but it's okay, she fit because her head was cut off?" And basically, Elizabeth oh passes out God. as you would when someone yeah, throws that geez. knowledge at you. But yeah. Ugh. I, I think that might have been the beginning of my interest in Anne Boleyn because I always found Elizabeth the first really fascinating. Yeah. And then finding out about her mother and then how that came to be. I was like, well, who's this chick? Yeah. I only watched the Tudors because I was waiting for Anne. And they, yeah. And they tease it in like the first or second episode oh, that yeah. she's coming. Yeah. And I was like, when's she coming? When's she coming? Yeah. And then finally she showed up. Um, the other Boleyn girl did not read the book, but I saw the movie because I, I thought the trailer was amazing. I was like, Natalie Portman, that's actually pretty good casting. Right. That was good casting. And then I was just so upset with all of the historical inaccuracies, yeah. inaccuracies of it. Right. Uh, just like that Mary was weirdly like the king's true love. And I was like, eh. Yeah. She was just the one they threw at him first and she put out and then he got bored with her and then yeah. got Anne after her. I guess they just thought that was some more interesting choice. But my thing is, like, I don't know. The real story is pretty interesting. Just yeah. tell the real story. Just tell the real story. <laughs> it's real good. Um, and the show definitely kind of gets most of Anne's story correct. They they rush the end of her life a bit. Yeah. Just because, you know. I mean, the other thing, though, is, like, again, like the, they each have their own, like, four-minute song. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of moves on. So, it's again, I'm like. Yeah. The gist is there. Sure. We're not going to get a whole history. <laughs> well, something that I thought was really kind of saucy of them, because yeah. it is a relatively PG, sometimes PG-13 show. I think the PG-13-ness is more innuendo than it is outright. Yeah. I think they famously don't ever curse. Which actually is very smart of them, because then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, every time everyone. they're about to say shit, it's shh, or yeah. things like that. But with Anne's song. So the song's called Don't Lose Your Head, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, plan words because she yeah. got beheaded. Uh-huh. Which she will remind you of every five minutes on stage. Uh-huh. I, if, if I have one major note for the show, it's that sometimes the beheading jokes are, there are a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. There are like five too many. I get why, because it is like the most famous demise. Yeah. But yeah, there were a couple times where I was like, okay. Yeah. Also like... <laughs> Certain lines, I think, would be funnier if there weren't so many of the jokes. So, like, yeah. uh, by the time that Heart of Stone happens, Anne's already joked about being beheaded, like, four times. Right. So when Jane goes, I mean, what's worse than a broken heart? And then Anne goes, a severed head. Yeah. And that would be so much funnier if she hadn't said anything for ten minutes about right, it. Right, right. Um, but, but I will say, the jokes they make are good ones. It's just, yeah. There's, there's a lot. Yeah, just I would say cut three. Just yeah. guys, hear me out. Behead three of the beheading jokes. Exactly. There we go. But so we have that plan words, but there's also the plan words towards oral sex, which they mm-hmm. they the song has in terms of pret a manger, but also when you watch the show, it's not in the in the studio recording, but she makes a joke about how he he wants to cut my head off. I guess he just really liked my head, and then they go further than that. But yeah. I don't, I, this is what I learned in my research of Anne and Mary and sort of mm-hmm. sexuality in England. So Anne, to our listeners, as you famously know from the song, grew up in the French court, oui, oui, bonjour. Yeah. Netherlands first, then the French court. Yeah. 
and that and she was under the tutelage of two very modern women of mm-hmm. her time which is why she was so headstrong and so intelligent and so composed because yeah. she learned from women outside of England who, yeah. where they were a little more ahead of the times yeah and on top of that ahead of the times sexually mm-hmm. and both she and her sister Mary learned a lot mm-hmm. about the art of seduction the art of sexuality mm. from the women of the French court one in particular from what i understand is oral sex which was mm-hmm. not really that either it was not done or it wasn't known or if it was it was very like hush hush yeah so mary was the first of the bullen sisters to be henry's mistress and what made both her and anne so um uh prize worthy i suppose in his eyes Mm -hmm. was that they knew how to do that which most ladies in waiting probably did not yeah so it is a very canny wordplay that they do in that song yeah it's smart yeah it's very smart and you know that's why they could still be virgins because it's the blowjob loophole exactly it's it's the blowjob and (laughs) the origin of the blowjob exactly (laughs) catholic school yeah catholic school yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) if it's if it's the mouth or the butt it don't count yeah don't count Once again, bringing it back to Stuart and Spencer. Oh, man. I gotta say, someone wrote about how, like, she's gonna win the Oscar not just because she'll be great in it, but because the gay community has collectively decided no, she no, is going to win. No, no, it's happening. It's, yeah, we, she, she is our, our chosen victor. Exactly. Yeah. We, we collectively decided that social media is going to yeah, yeah, prop yeah, her yeah, up yeah, for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm so thrilled for her. Yeah. Uh, she deserves it. Yeah. Well, who would she play in six if she sang... Oh, if she sang, I mean, probably like the sad one. Jane. Yeah, yeah. Jane. I think she, yeah. She's got the sad eyes. She could monologue the hell out of Heart of Stone, I think. Yeah, I would, I would see that. Yeah. I'd pay to see that. Yeah. Although I will say, that was probably my least favorite song. And if the actress playing her didn't have such a spectacular voice, I don't know if I would have liked that. Yeah. Abby Mueller does a really great job. It is the song I skip most on the album. Mostly because like... It's also like content-wise, I'm like, oh, should we really feel for them? Like he was such a bad, bad person. And they handle it well in the show. They make jokes about it, but... Well, so we'll discuss the Jane Seymour of it all in a second. Yes, 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 Um, yes. Catherine of Aragon. Mm. I mean, in some ways, is the most enduring of the wives she was married to him the longest yeah i think she even lived the longest technically speaking yeah because she died in her 50s 60s and that was pretty old back then that was and a lot of these women first of all i mean you have jane who died at like 29 you have Anne who died in her late 20s Anne's age we don't ever truly know because her father who was like the mama rose of the yes he was he was like (laughs) he burned his daughter's birth certificate he he wanted because he wanted them to sort of be whatever age the king wanted them whatever to was fashionable exactly interesting make them desirable to the men of court so they could be de- not even because he was like oh your value is to get married off he was like oh no no you are our currency to get a leg up so like we will yeah. all collectively use you both and eventually it was a very a kardashian affair oh my god was it a kardashian yeah, affair? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes yes yeah mr Boleyn was was the chris <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the momager yeah yeah wow interesting was, i wonder what what was it is it Thomas? Thomas Bolin? Was that his name? I think so. Yeah. That sounds right. Thomager? 
Tominger. Yep. We found it. We got there. We got there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Catherine, for those who don't know, because the show doesn't really... They talk about it a little bit, but they don't really go into detail about this. Catherine of Aragon was was at first married to Henry's brother. Mm -hmm. Um, What was his name? Arthur. Arthur, yes. Arthur died within a year due to the sweating sickness, which Mm. uh, stayed in England for like a solid 20 years. Yipes. And no one ever really knew what it was because it wasn't the flu necessarily because mm. it could also kill you really quickly yeah uh and similar to COVID, it was like it killed some people immediately it didn't kill other people yeah. some people just weakened uh because like uh arthur died of it and then uh you know 25 years later Anne got it and so it's it was it was in england for a while yeah so keep that in mind y'all <laughs> but but hey things they 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 got through and so shall we yes but yeah, so she marries Arthur, he gets sick and dies, and she wasn't queen yet when she married Arthur because Henry and Arthur's father was still alive, and then his wife died, and mm. then Henry's father thought about marrying Catherine himself. Right, I remember that. Yikes. Creepy. Yeah, and then luckily Catherine's dad, who was the king of Spain, said, you know, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, th- she was married to them as sort of a treaty, sort of to tie yeah, the yeah, yeah. countries together. And so basically, it was then decided she was going to marry Henry, but Henry was uh, nine at the time, something like that. Right. Yeah. And so he had to be of age first. So she basically was a prisoner for yeah, seven Yeah, they, they kept her, like, captive. Yeah. But, I mean, when we say prisoner, we don't mean, like, she was in the Tower of London. She was no. living fine, but she wasn't... She was like, yeah, I mean, it's probably how, like, Diana felt. Like, yeah. you know, they were like, you're you're technically free, but not really. Like, yeah. you're in a mansion, but you have to stay there. You, very much so. You don't get to have say over anything you And they do. didn't, like, give her a very high allowance, so she was, no. like, sort of living in, you know, rich person's version of poverty yes um rich but cash poor yeah yeah, yeah. very much exactly, that exactly but mary they do mm-hmm. when henry turns 17 and i believe his father dies pretty soon after they get married and yeah. they get coronated pretty quickly uh catherine has quite a few miscarriages ends up uh giving birth to mary mm-hmm. mary the first in 1516 and after that just was unable to get pregnant ever again after like the three or four miscarriages. Yeah. There are also rumors that Henry might have actually been impotent mm. because which is why um a lot of the women in, that he was married to had trouble getting pregnant. Yeah. And why there might have been actual adul- adultery with some of these women. Right. Um th- did you ever watch The Handmaid's Tale? Yes. I only watched the first season, but they discuss it where like all the men of the state who are yeah. trying to procreate, they're all sterile. Yeah. And so the handmaids who are trying to get pregnant, like, they're getting pregnant usually by outside men. Yeah. And then claiming that it's the right. generals or whatever. So there's yeah. a, there is a big theory that's been... Uh, I think statistically that makes more sense yeah. than him marrying six women who all have problems getting pregnant. Literally, literally. Um, so, it's yeah, it's entirely possible. Which all, But then it also kind of goes into the whole um, adultery thing where it's, right. it's like, well, of course, you know... Anne and Catherine Howard might have had affairs of like you want them to get pregnant and you can't right. do it. Yeah, they they need and that was at a time where it was never the man's fault. Right, there was something wrong with the woman, especially when it came to gender of the baby, mm-hmm. which we now know due to science that yeah. it's actually the uh, husband's DNA that determines that. Or sorry, the father's DNA. Not mm. every father is a husband. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was very um, heteronormative of me. That was very <laughs> uh, matrimonial of me. <laughs> 
Monogamy is a prison. I've said it before. I'll say it again. <laughs> Sorry, Katie Joe, you're a prisoner. Oh my God, help. No, lock you up and throw <laughs> away the key, right? Me. Yeah, no. I'm miserable. <laughs> no, I just, I just want to be in jail too. Yeah, yeah. Especially if it's like Oz, please. So, yeah, that, I mean, this is all to say, going back to Catherine's number, yeah. no way. Yeah. It's at the end of her time with Henry. So we don't really learn all that stuff. Yeah. Like, do we even learn in the show that she was married to Arthur? I don't think so. She mentions it. Yeah. Oh, she does? Okay. She does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually. And it's they just mention- all so quick. You yeah. Know? They also, they do mention in the song, yes, um, the Leviticus bit, because when Henry wanted to divorce her for Anne Boleyn, he was trying to do it on the grounds of it was a sin in God's eyes because she was his brother's wife and claimed, oh, they must have slept together yeah. because if they hadn't, then we would have a son by now. We wouldn't have all these problems, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And she always claimed that they had never had sex because Arthur was too sick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like they, 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 they talk were basically about like on their honeymoon when he died, they were like at the yeah. palace in Wales or whatever. And yeah. Yeah. Died right away. Yeah, he got sick like on a Monday, died on a Wednesday. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So no way is her plea. It's her it's it's basically inspired by her speech at Blackfriars where mm. when he's there, there she's having a trial mm-hmm. where they're determining the validity of the marriage, which is all just for show, because yeah. he's gonna do what he wants, yeah. obviously, as yeah. we know. And she does her whole speech to him, and that's what No Way is is about. What do you think of of no 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 way? I think it's I think it's the strongest song. I think that's part of why it's like first. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, they're all great songs. Yeah, but it's definitely the one that it's stuck in my head the most. It is very catchy. It's very very catchy. It's very fun. I think it kicks off the show and the vibe and sets mm-hmm. the tone really well. Um, yeah, I think it's fun. It is fun. It's the one that I've seen. It's the one that I've mostly seen drag queens do from the show. Mm, mm-hmm. Because, again, you know, I Don't Lose Your Head, Super Bop, and you and I are big Anne Boleyn girls. Right. So, like, I love Anne's song. But it's a story song. It's harder yes. to make it a performative number outside of the show. Right, right. Same thing with All, All You Want to Do, which I... That, I would argue, I think is actually the strongest musical theater song in the show. Yeah. But it is not necessarily... Well, like, that one is, like, one of the few that has, like, an arc. Like, yes. something is happening. Yes. And, well, what's interesting is that... Anne and Catherine have the two story songs and they're the yeah. two the headings. Mm. We ca- we chronicle their uh, their life leading up to Henry and then sort of how Henry led to their demise. Right, right. Yeah, whereas Catherine is the longest wife and, uh, you know, she her, her song is a song to Henry. Jane is the last wife to have a child with Henry. Her song is to Henry. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna of Cleves is more sort of a like... Here I am song. Yeah. Which is, that is a song that I don't necessarily love to listen to, but I love to watch. Oh, it is so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're, all the songs are very well placed throughout the show mm-hmm. in terms of like tonally what they're doing. Yeah, it's paced and well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good middle of the show, Bop. Yeah, 100%. Do you like House of Holbein, by the way? I do. Okay. I do. Okay. I think it's silly. It, it's very silly. It's funny. It is interesting, like, especially like revisiting it after so long today was like oh it is interesting that she sort of gets two songs but it seems like they, oh anna yeah right because she does they do the house of Holbein, and then it sort of goes into like yeah the queen of the castle yeah song i, I consider Holbein a song for all of them uh, and it, yeah and it, it does allow actors like jane seymour and katherine howard to like be sillier whereas right. they're not quite as silly for the rest of the show yeah but yeah no, it, it is the only song 
that's written to introduce a queen. Whereas everybody yeah. else just kind of has discussions. Like Anna of Cleves gets like a full blown like, here's how we got Anna today. Yeah. Yeah. I the I get the vibe that it was like they wrote two songs for mm-hmm. that character and then they're like didn't want to cut them or make a decision and yeah. it was like we can make this like and it does it doesn't feel out of place i just sort of was like oh yeah technically it's it's two songs yeah it's like one character but yeah. well i guess also because anna and Catherine parr i would argue have the least tumultuous marriages to henry right and uh, so this is also where the show why you can't necessarily take the show six at face value in terms of historical right. accuracy because the way they portray Anna's uh, thoughts on Henry and, like, mm. her life is very much, you know, screw him, screw men, I'm a boss, and here we go. And in reality, Anna of Cleves and, Hat- and Henry VIII actually got along very well. Yeah. She was, her nickname was the King's Sister. So uh. there, there is the story that she was rejected for her looks, but, I mean, they still got married, and but they got, a, they got it annulled within a couple of months. But also, there were other things, apparently, that led the marriage to being annulled. Part of it was also the cultural clash, being German and him being English. She was very kind of um, brusque and uh, not standoffish, but they, she was not willing to play along with any of like his flirtations really. Yeah. Part of, because he was so much older than she was. There's a story that goes in England at the time, they had a game where if you were betrothed to someone the man would dress up in like disguise quote unquote straight out of like Shakespeare and fantasy books and like would surprise his betrothed and if she recognized him was like oh it's meant to be and he did that to Anna of Cleves and she was like she didn't recognize him and she was like get the fuck away from me which as you're supposed to do when a male stranger comes up to you but he got really upset he was like how could you not know it's me she was like I barely speak English and I barely know you I just got here yeah I just got here um, but so they got they, because she never contested the annulment and was very much like, yeah, please, like I'm happy to yeah, do whatever we're you want. Clearly not right for each other. Yes, yeah. gave her a very generous settlement, lots of property, a bit, yeah. very big um, uh, allowance, and because of that, they ended up having something of a friendship throughout the end of his life, hmm. and then she ended up becoming friendly with Elizabeth and um, Mary and Edward. Okay, yeah, became very actually very. She was the only wife to get become friendly with mary i believe hmm. and obviously right. famously never uh f- friends with mary but yeah she was the like the one wife that got along with all the yeah. kids and i think huh. it was because there was no drama of like you're trying to be our new mom like she was in she was out and she yeah. sort of stayed around yeah good for her yeah well I, I think that's a very interesting dynamic but again you also think about it from the part of the sixes yeah uh motto is like let's view this from a different angle yeah she has three different she has two castles she has a palace she has all this money she has no one to tell her what to do she also never marries again yeah no i think i think the artistic choice they made makes sense oh 100 for like what her story is it's like haha i got out of this with like all this shit and like i'm a boss house bitch yeah she's the queen of the castle yeah So get down your dirty rascal, get down. What I also really like about the song on a vocal level, because 
There is a lot of high belting in sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it, nice reprieve from that. Yes, I it's think. low. It's just, and I, I appreciate that it's a different vocal type. Yeah, and yeah, stylistically very different from the other songs. And it, yeah, yeah. It, and again, having that right in the middle of the show, yeah. I think is nice. A nice reprieve. I think it also comes on a dramatic storytelling level. Mm. She has the least tumultuous marriage to Henry. Right. She has the most smooth sailing of life after marriage. Yeah. So it's just a very leisurely... So her song should be, like, easy and fun. Exactly. Yeah. Because she's living the good life. Yeah. Um, there's n- nothing's going poorly for her. Yeah. Yeah. Jane Seymour is one where she actually gets a bit more of a nicer edit than I yeah. think history has been to Jane Seymour. It, history has said that Henry cared for her probably the most, or at least... But it's also the mentality of... Sorry, let me rephrase this. History has claimed that Henry probably loved Jane the most of all the wives, but that's also probably because she died before he could change his mind about her. Exactly. That's how I feel. I'm like, yeah. well, I think she just died really quickly. Yeah, because he changed his mind about almost all the wives. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, it's like, oh, because she died so quickly he yeah. was probably like very sad about it because yeah. he was still like into her so then yeah they interpreted that as him being like in love with her the most yeah but... and gave him a son which he very much wanted right 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 right. granted it was a very sickly son mm. yeah i don't th- i mean edward i don't think ever really lived first of all he died at 15 right became king at nine which is crazy yeah. and then you know king until he was 15 from everything I've ever read, he never was, like, healthy for long periods of time. He was always kind of frail, hmm. which is, uh, I mean, the kind of, like, the, what's we're looking for? The cruel irony of it all. Old-timey England just sounds like yeah. the most miserable place. Mm-hmm. Everyone was just so fucking frail and sick. All the, well, they were throwing their shit out the window yeah. every day. They were just all, like, gross and, like, ugly and sickly. It's just mm-hmm. like... Well, th- they're, they're the reason why there's, like, all all this disease in America. Mm. I mean, the story goes with that is, you know, they come over to America and the uh, Native Americans get introduced to, you know, all of their STIs yeah. and their illnesses. And on top of this, like, Europe's uh, health regiments are terrible yeah and so they're telling you know oh yes take this potion and put on these oils and whatnot yeah no they were like really dumb yeah dirty colonizers dumb dirty colonizers dumb dirty colonizers the only reason why we have perfume and cologne and deodorant is because it was to cover up yeah they smelled like shit yeah they bathed once a week or if if then oh god they had all this dead skin probably they had pounds of makeup that's just like so funny watching stuff like the tutors where Mm -hmm. they're all just like so hot and gorgeous i'm like that place was a nasty, nasty shithole. Nasty shithole. Let's talk about it, please. There's a reason why Jane died in her late 20s. The other thing that they don't ever really talk about in the show, they do mention how like Anne was kind of antagonistic of Catherine, but I thought it would have been interesting to sort of show how Jane was then also antagonistic of Anne. Because mm-hmm. Anne was a lady-in-waiting lady for Catherine. Actually, so was Jane, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um Anne was not queen for very long. Right. So Jane was able to be a lady-in-waiting for both queens at one point. But when Henry got tired of Anne, and then also Anne was becoming a little too much for him because she spoke her mind every day. Yeah. And also was not providing him with the son that he needed. He's turned his attentions to Jane. And then Jane is not the, like, demure wallflower that she's portrayed as in the show. Yeah. Like, he gave her a locket with his portrait in it, which yeah. she then would, like, show 
to everyone like in front of Anne Boleyn. There's there's another story that goes like she was in Anne's like chambers and was like twirling the locket and opening and closing it just like you know as you do like hmm what you gonna yeah. do about it ho and yeah then Anne grabbed it and ripped <gasps> it off her neck with till her fingers bled. Oh my god. Yep. And then Trauma. and then there's another story which the tutors uh, decides to make true, which is that Anne when pregnant with what ended up becoming a son. Uh, walked in on Jane and Henry and that led her to miscarry. Oh my god. Yeah. She had I think two miscarriages after Elizabeth. Yeah, very sad. Yeah. And and one of the other miscarriages is apparently at a jousting tournament that Henry was at where he got very injured. Mm. That The stress from that and also the stress of Jane being there led her to miscarry. And that injury is what uh, led to Henry's physical uh change over the years because he got something happened with his knee or his ankle or something like that so he couldn't really be physical anymore and then so he just gained a lot of weight he also became a lot more stiff and he limped and he just started to become more of an old man and he also said that kind of changed his uh, demeanor yeah so makes sense yeah it all makes sense as I said that's why we don't take six at face value we enjoy it for what it is yeah yeah so we love no way we love I don't need your love. We love House of Holbein. We don't like Heart of Stone so much. It's fine. So what is it about it that makes it maybe less interesting to you as the other songs? I just like, I I just love the like, the comedic upbeat angle of the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. And so then the sudden pivot to like, actually, I was in love and like, he was amazing to me. And like, I have a sad story. I'm just sort of like... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get why it is like a good, like structurally a good like pacing thing to sure. have like a more serious sad song, and again, like it's performed beautifully, mm-hmm. and you, you know, and it's not a bad song. I'm just like, I don't know. I find it, I I find it hard to be empathetic towards this. It doesn't also really like build up to that. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Especially when we have three songs in a row. Like, we have Ex-Wives, which is just, you know, a big, bold opening number. Yeah. No Way, which is a bop. Uh, Don't Lose Your Head, which is both a bop and a comedy number. Yeah. And and, the, and then the way that they treat Anne's death afterwards, when Anne's like, oh my god, I'm totally dead. And they go, didn't you really die? Yeah, it was so extra. And then they go into Jane, and Jane's yeah. just like, serious. Jane is that girl in college where we're doing studio. Yes. And it's like, okay, we're, we're trying out our Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff and people are doing Can't Say No, people are doing Wonderful Guy and someone comes in and does What's the Use of Wondering and you're like, I thought we all agreed to do up-tempos. Yeah, no, no, she's just that girl like the, in the friend group that's just like always on the verge of tears and mm-hmm. it's just like exhausting. And- Want to hear my monologue? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like, just very, very fragile. Yeah. Um, my friend, my friend Hannah Pocus, who's also very funny mm-hmm. Instagram comedian, does a great character bit of, like that reminds me of Jane Seymour. Just yeah. like it's like woman who's always on the verge of of, tears. of just absolutely breaking down. And would you say she's fine. a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown? You know what? I would say that. Yes, okay. for the record, I would say that.
talked about in the New York Times article, like they always wanted the show to be light and fun. Yeah. They didn't want to take itself too seriously. Yeah. But they also like, you know, like a good writer would, mm-hmm. they said just because it's 80 minutes and frothy doesn't mean that we can't sort of really take this seriously as yeah. writers. Like yeah. they, they do their homework, which is great. And I, think- I talk about all the time, like when we say, oh, it's not trying to break new ground. It's usually code for it's bad and poorly written. Right. Like, speaking of Diana, uh, <laughs> a review was like, lighten up, guys. It's fun. I was like, that's, oh. you're telling me it's not good and yeah. tell me to get over myself. Like, no. something can be fun yeah. and be well written. And also, like, something can, they, I think that, like, I mean, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but the Diana of it all is <laughs> like, so I, I might be wrong, but the Diana of it all, the vibe I get from the clips I've seen and whatever is that <laughs> whatever. It, it's trying to be some a different musical than it is or should be. It feels inappropriate to the subject matter, the the tone that it seems to take in I a lot of the that, clips though. I've seen. Oh, like, I'm very excited to watch it. I can't But I, I don't think, I think that it is probably not a good <laughs> musical. No. Listen. Whereas, it, like, it probably, I think it, the, they, whatever, whoever created Diana the Musical wants what Six has, in that Six, like, understands exactly the tone mm-hmm. it never takes itself too seriously it executes the, the yeah the tone and the style perfectly it's just fun mm-hmm. it has moments that are touching and more serious but ultimately it it is very cohesive and it just it's a spice girls concert it is fun yeah and diana shouldn't be that i think also because diana is still our memories like she did not die that long ago yeah these women died hundreds of years yeah this is like a person who was like alive during our lifetime and yeah and especially i think in contrast with all the very prestige diana content that has been coming out lately it's Mm -hmm. sort of just like what yeah like maybe it wouldn't be as bothersome if like this season of the crown and the the upcoming spencer movie hadn't just happened sure but to have so those like where they were both really well done Mm -hmm. uh but like yeah for something about diana to come out that is like seemingly very silly feels like inappropriate i don't know no absolutely i just like i really 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 wanted it to be good because i just like i'm really fascinated by princess diana and the royals in general and like i think it has so much potential like all the elements of that story are like elements that i think would make an incredible musical and Mm -hmm. so i'm like oh they wasted this yeah well people have said that it reminds them a lot of evita and i'm very interested to see how that goes because Diana was not really an Ava Perone, other than the fact mm-hmm. that she was fashionable and, like, did good in the world, but was not... I think that's, yeah, I think that's kind of, like, like a lame take. Like, yeah. oh, she was a famous woman, and this is a musical about a famous woman from history. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah, but they were different. They, they could was... not have been more different. Yeah. And I think part of what makes Evita... So I have covered Evita on this series. Yeah. And obviously we're talking about the British Invasion. And... I argue, I don't think Evita is actually a very good musical, but it's very effective. Yeah. And, and it, especially when you have like a 29 year old coked out Patti Lapone yeah. doing it with Hal Prince's staging. And it takes itself seriously. Yeah. Well, so it, it works. It has a sense of humor, but also it's an over the top telling of an over the top woman yeah. with a, and a bonker story. Yeah. So it all, it the synergy of all that just sort of blends really well. Whereas right. Diana, like, was a little more tragic and a little more miserable she wasn't a dictator no um i mean she was complicated like everyone was but you did not 
have a Swiss bank account and like no. robbed the country blind. Yeah. Nor was she, you know, considered to be an uber bitch in the way that right. Ava Perón was. There was so much more tragedy to her. But, and then also on top of that, again, we knew Diana yeah. Ish. And so it was very well documented. So very, we all are coming in with an yeah. opinion. <laughs> I think she has the title of being the most photographed person of all time, or at least maybe yeah. it's like the most photographed person who didn't want to be photographed. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what they said. <laughs> yeah. It was such a shame. But, um, Diana to six. I don't know how we got here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so something with six that's interesting to me that I've talked about a lot with the British invasion is a lot of these shows that I've covered, sort of on like a analytical level, mm-hmm. you could argue for flaws they might have, or maybe they're not good. So again, as I said, I don't think that Avita is objectively good. I think it's actually kind of poorly written as a musical. Right. But it is very effective. It's extremely effective. And I like yeah, it yeah, very yeah. much. And, and it a, is the best Android Rubber musical. I'm going to just go ahead and make that oh, decision. I think, I think I th- most people feel that way. Yeah. I think Phantom is a little more impenetrable. But it's that one, but, like story wise, is probably yeah, it's I, cleaner as a story. Yeah, Phantom's a little more indestructible, but I think Phantom is a poorer work mm-hmm. than Avita. I also have bunches of issues with Phantom that I didn't realize I had with it until I did research for it for that episode, which everyone can go back and listen to now. Yay! Uh, <laughs> but we don't have to go into my the sexual trauma that got reawakened watching Phantom. Mm. Uh, very similar to Catherine Howard's uh, story, actually. Yeah. So I'm surprised when I listen to that song, I'm not, like, triggered. I'm just like, poor Catherine. And then, like, ten minutes later, I go, oh, right, I had a similar situation to her. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's fun. N- looking at me, you wouldn't realize I'm an ingenue. But <laughs> no, I, I can see it. I'm a tortured ingenue, yes. yeah. But, um, so what I've been saying is, first of all, there's a difference between saying something's good and saying you like something. Right. right. And a lot of people maybe don't recognize the difference and aren't able to do the work on yeah. both ends to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I like to think most of the things I like are good, but there are things that I like out there more, more on the film spectrum where I'm like, it's not good. A perfect example, actually perfect example. Dolly Parton's Christmas on the square. Oh yeah. One of my favorite movies. Yeah. It is not good. Yeah. But I think. But it's also like not supposed to be good. It's camp. It's hard to tell though. I don't know. Katie, Katie jo- Dolly's very smart. She no, she is. There are times when I think it's trying to be cheeky camp, and then there are times when I think it takes itself very seriously. Yeah. And the whole thing for me is just absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Whereas like six, I don't think six ever takes itself very seriously so much as that it's like. They know, as you said, they know when they need to slow down for a second. And they go, mm-hmm. okay, so who's this person that's going to slow down? It's going to be Jane. Yeah. And then we have Catherine Howard, who actually had a more tragic life than Jane, but we can't have another ballad. So right. let's do a bop and give it sort of a dramatic spin. Yeah. Which I think is very smart. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it also fits like what that character specifically went through. Exactly. Of like on the surface level, it's like, oh, this girl was the like, promiscuous one, mm-hmm. but really actually was like trauma and abuse. Yes. Had, was taken advantage of and... Even though it's, I find that sometimes people, especially now, have a really hard time understanding, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I guess perspective, uh, uh, people have a hard time now when they look at history, putting themselves in the moment of when something happened, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to age, when it comes to gender. So when... You know, someone will get like, why couldn't she do X, Y, and Z? I'm like, this is 1432 England. She yeah. couldn't do any of she that. She couldn't do anything. Um, it's why I really hate when shows about 
people from a very specific time gets rewritten so they're more like woke from modern perspectives i'm like yeah you're actually undermining what made this so progressive for its moment like right. at, like don't rob them this moment. the example i use all the time is gigi yeah which is granted you know the movie of gigi i think its biggest flaw is that they just were modeling it too much of my fair lady right but they still lean into the feminism of Colette, which is like for a woman in 1900 Paris mm-hmm. who had no prospects and was and came from a long line of courtesans, like for Gigi to get the ending she has is very progressive and like very feminist. Yeah. But of course, with the Vanessa Hudgens show, they're like, well, we need to add all the girl boss things. Right. Which when you watch the Cinderella and Amazon, very similar. Yeah. Um, and I, I say these terms and I know it sounds like I am... Um, being condescending to the terms like girl boss no, no, no. i'm not no it, i think I, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that girl boss as a movement is is a lot it's shallow and <laughs> it's very shallow it's very based in like capitalistic mm-hmm. you know ideals and yeah um it's been exploited and sort of like it, and it, marketed it, yeah. it's lost its meaning yeah it, it's a capitalism a capitalist feminism yeah it's it's a it's easier... Girl boss gatekeep gaslight. Exactly. <laughs> the three G's. It's it's easier to buy a shirt that says girl boss and watch a movie that was written by a woman that says girl boss than it is to actually like get your hands dirty in the system, like make change. Yeah. I feel the same way about gays. I'm like, it's easier to watch. I mean, Lord knows I love Call Me By Your Name and Lord knows I love right. to support drag queens. It's like, it's easier to go see a drag queen and go, yes, girl, and like walk around and have sex with whoever than it is to like actually try to make civil change for mm. your community. Uh, and I think like reality TV, we're allowed our reprieves, but we also need to understand the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. The same way of saying there's a difference between liking something and thinking something's good. And we're back. <laughs> yes, we made it back. We made it back. <laughs> we found our way back. But so with six, sometimes I ask myself, is do I like this or is this good? Are they both? Are they different? And another thing with British stuff, as my listeners have been hearing, is that I have found with a lot of these shows, again, as you can sort of find flaws and stuff, a lot of these shows have taken advantage of, in a good way, have like really cracked the code on like, embracing what you can do in theater it's mm-hmm. theatrical storytelling to at its finest because it's just like so many of these shows why you could never make them as a film and we see that with cats and phantom and Vita, for yeah. example is that they are they do things that you can only get away with on a stage yeah with that um, the spectacle is so impressive live yeah and when it, we put that into film then you just are left with the story which Ultimately, it's not well yeah. done. <laughs> well, and you—it's harder for people to take chances on film and maybe do something a little more avant-garde. Especially mm. with so many people when they watch movies, they take things a little more literally, more realistically. Stage, you have this invisible contract where everyone comes yeah. in and being like, "We know this isn't real." Yeah. So we're going to enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. And I think Six is a great example of that, right? Mm. Where you go and you're like, "I know these aren't the actual tutors. I know this is like not a real concert, and that you know, whatever." And, but I don't know. It's, I've lost my train of thought, but it's, it's, that all kind of comes together in a way that you can only really experience in a theater, which is why I yeah. think it's such a, I think it actually is a good show. Yeah, I, I do too. I think it, it knows exactly what it is mm-hmm. and it executes it perfectly. I don't think it's trying to be anything other than what it is. Yeah. And I think it's fun. And I think they walk that line of like, 
the sort of, you know, what we were just talking about, the problematic girl boss energy. Mm -hmm. There are moments where you're like, oh, is this doing that? But then you're like, no. And I think the reason that probably it it has handled that well and it feels authentic and not like cringy girl boss vibes is because like it is like, you know, there's just so many actual women involved and creatively in the process Mm -hmm. of it, like, which is great to see. It's like what you can do if you actually employ women <laughs> to <Absolutely>. tell their own stories it's also i think what i love about it as well is that you it, when it gets to that moment where i wouldn't even call it girl boss so much as it's just like a general sense of like fulfillment and happiness at the end mm-hmm. like they don't come out like the end of the show is not like women only pussy popping on the floor it's just like these individuals who rewrite their own narratives and like find a central yeah calm and joy from like separating themselves from yeah the the narrative that they've been a part of forever and i think maybe that's that moves me more than just like any like pask and paul this is me power ballad right it just feels very contrived yeah as opposed to being like no it is what it is like and that's that's fun about six is like it doesn't dwell too long on the like this is the secret message of the show Mm -hmm. they even like kind of make a joke about it yeah you know like again it it never takes itself too seriously it never stops moving it's like this is the moral of the story it's not that deep you're all smart you get it let's (laughs) sing again we're here to riff yeah and i really like that and i think it's like a really interesting show that is sort of i think examining what our how we can still like create new things within musical theater that are going to fit the short form content world i mean you know it's it's short form content as far as like a full stage broadway musical goes yeah being 90 minutes no intermission and like it's fast paced and i'm like okay this is like TikTok generation style of musical theater, but done very, very well. I don't feel shortchanged when I watch it. Exactly. No, it's not. It it just feels like this, because there are so many shows you see where you're like, God, that's just, if they had cut like so much, then it would have been so much better. Mm -hmm. But like this, it's like, no, this is like sometimes short and sweet. Yeah. Well, so when we talk about length, right, it's Mm -hmm. never about... A show has to be a specific amount of time. Right. In order to be good. Right. I mean, Lame is, I prefer Lame is actually when it's not quite done at uh, cocaine level tempo. Yeah. And, like they include some of the old uh, uh, extra verses again. Yeah. Like that original Broadway production of Lame is three hours and 20 minutes flies by for me. Right. But, that's the thing. It, and that's what I mean. I don't mean to say that they like intentionally were like, this is going to be short. It just feels like they were like, it doesn't have to be more. Yeah. Than what it should be. Well, so that, and that's what I mean is they they looked at the story they were telling, the concept they had for it, and like we can, this has a uh, a dead not a de- deadline, but they like this has like a finished line. Like there, yeah, there is a certain amount of time we can get away with this before we start running out of steam. Yeah, and there are a lot of modern shows I think that don't recognize that, yeah. and it's why a lot of golden age musicals actually don't feel long even though right. they are longer because um like oscar hammerstein genius book writer that he was like in the 40s they were concerned with time as well like right. they they cut stuff out of all their shows being like let's get to cut to the chase and yeah. part of, and like even though those shows are two hours and 45 minutes they don't feel no, it no and if you read look at the scripts like if you've ever done those shows like the scenes are short yeah 
it's just there's a but they're packed with songs because mm-hmm. they dancing. were like and that's what they they're like we got to get to the song yeah and well, so the stakes are high in every scene and then you earn it yeah they're woven together in a way mm-hmm. where it all just sort of flows and if it's a good show if the story is compelling if the songs are in the moments where they make sense yeah it never feels like oh god another song when we get to the end where, where there's other shows where i'm thinking Motherfucker, cut it. Yeah. Cut that shit. Yeah. It's, speaking of Andrew Lloyd Webber, I just recorded and finished editing the Sunset Boulevard episode, which talk about a show where there's a difference between liking it and thinking it's good. Yeah. And I know a lot of gay men who love that show, and I'm like, okay, but I need you to understand it's not good. No, it's not good. It's not it's good. Not- <laughs> the movie is phenomenal. Yeah. The show does not understand the assignment at all. Yeah. And there are so many times where I'm like, oh, that song could get cut. Yeah. You could cut her. You could yeah. cut him. It's... <laughs> But Six is also an interesting case because, like, maybe because the show was already written before the concept album came out. Yeah. That the songs don't feel extraneous or, like, things you might want to trim. I mean, we talked about how Heart of Stone, we're like, wrap it up, Jane. I want to get back to the bops. Right. But I feel like in the theater, it's not quite. No. And, and yeah, I mean, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, beautiful song. Yeah. Well done. And you get a good chanteuse to do it. Yeah. And, you know, sensible four and a half minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's no MacArthur Park where Donna Summer goes on for 20. Right. <laughs> yeah, we don't do any of that stuff. I love it. Who, who would you say is the queen you're most like, at least in this show? Oh, wow. Song mm. attitude wise. Or are you combo? Oh, song attitude wise. Oh, I would probably be, I would, I would say like Anne Boleyn for sure. Just, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that that's like the comedy song. 100%. Yeah. Especially how, um, I forget the actress's name, the actress who does it on Broadway now, she does it very comedically. Yes. And I love it. It's very fun. I like her. I mean, I love all the women in this It's extremely in well this cast. Yeah. yeah. The actress, I, I do know the name, Samantha Polly, who plays Catherine Howard. Mm. She has a whole bit before we go into her song. Yeah. Where she go, where everyone, the joke is like, she's the least relevant Catherine, she's the beheading that nobody cares about. Right. And then she has a whole bit where she basically reads each one of them for filth and yeah. it's, she does it so well. Yeah, that part is very fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably I think I'm a mixture of Anne and Catherine. I tend to bring up Sex and the City a lot on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I find ways to bring that show into all of the shows. Yeah. Well, it's probably why I think Six is so successful because mm-hmm. it does that like Sex and the City Spice Girls thing of mm-hmm. like which queen are you? Yeah. Yeah, which is such a brilliant thing because it's just like people love that. Yeah. And what I like gets old. Yeah. I think so something else that I kind of really like about Six's um, feminist energy is that, like, feminism does not mean that a person is perfect. Mm-hmm. And same with, the, like, uh, uh, being for, you know, uh, the LGBTQIA community is not mm-hmm. safe. Like, all queer people are perfect. Like, we're all flawed. Yeah. And... We're human so, beings. Yes. And so, like, with Sex and City, what I always liked was how all four women, like, have moments where they are in the right or have a good point and moments where yeah. they're in the wrong. And Six is kind of the same. Like, the whole point of the competition obviously comes rearing its ugly head at the end with Catherine Parr. It's like, I don't want to do the competition. It's, I don't, this, we're competing against each other, tearing each other down. And for what? Just to, like say that one of us was the most important in this man's life. Like, right. no. And of course, as you said, and when you watch the show, the writing is very clever and the direction is very clever where like the audience is putting it together two steps ahead of the characters and the actors are directing away being like, you know where this is going. Yeah. Like, um, there's some moment where they're like, 
wow, I wish we had realized this before we started like this competition. I wish we had a song to sing. If only that was the whole point of the show. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much that. Yeah, and like, I love I, that. I yeah. forgot that that part happened because I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. They're yeah. like the corny realization of like, we should all get along. And then it's like they t- even turn that on yeah. its head of like, they wink at it. Like, Obviously, we, that's what this was coming to. Absolutely. And I love that. And that's, I mean, they just, it's so well done. They just get it. Yeah, because it's earned it's 70 minutes of them earnestly going like we're competing we're competing yeah. and then when they get to the last 10 minutes it is it is it what keeps her being eye roll is like they've been so earnest the entire time that that's the first time they ever kind of become winky of like yeah in, come on we're, we're like they haven't been that winky the entire time so if they had been i feel like a lot of cynical audiences would be rolling their eyes at that moment right but because it's really the first time they all collectively have that attitude yeah it's just fun it's yeah it's, yeah and cheeky it's yeah. cheeky. And when they're like, if only we had a song to sing to represent this idea. We're one of a kind, no category. Too many years lost in history. We're free to take our crowning glory for five more minutes. We're six. I don't even know where we started with before we were shot. But well, we're just talking about like that a lot of shows have tried to jump on the quote-unquote bandwagon Mm -hmm. of um, caring about women, and um, not everyone is good at doing it. And the best, as we've seen with a lot of what's going on in terms of, like, wanting to heighten other stories, is, like, Mm -hmm. let people tell their own stories, Mm -hmm. and it's usually more successful. Yeah. And more authentic and feels more true and more fun. Yeah. I think also... As someone who has been writing and trying to, you know, be better at it, what I what I have learned, and I wish more people would learn this, when they're like, well, shouldn't you, do you only have to write about what you know? Shouldn't you, like, expand your brain? And, like, you actually become better and more empathetic if you do create with others who are not like you. Yeah. So I'm not saying, like, if it's a story about women, it should only be a female team. But if you are a man who wants to write about women, have... A, a female collaborator Work you're going to learn women yeah. yeah you're going to learn so much and you're going to become better and you're going to your mind's going to become more expansive yeah and it's just that it just helps yeah. it just helps so much and same thing with um having bipoc collaborators or having mm-hmm. trans collaborators like there's so much talent out there so many yeah. perspectives out there and it could just be so good again not every show written by xyz is going to be good tell me how many people know quilters you know, right. but also how many shows about gays written by gays are good? Not nearly enough of them, I'll say. Well, that we've gotten to see, because yeah. that's the other thing. I'm like, it's not that it's such a tough conversation because it's like it's not that like obviously all straight white men are bad or like not talented. It's just that like that historically, <laughs> those are the people who have gotten the opportunities yeah. and the ability to be the ones telling the stories. And so it's just it's time for other people's turn. And if we start like opening up and giving those spots to other people who haven't had the chance to tell their stories or haven't had the chance to be the ones in charge of telling stories or crafting or curating those stories, like we don't know what we're missing. Yeah. And when we get glimpses of it, it's delightful. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, white men have had the opportunity to like be mediocre for hundreds of years. Some have won Tonys for it. (laughs) Give other people the chance to be mediocre or brilliant or bad. Like just give people the chance to be anything at all. 
try, yeah. Because then when it's just like, oh, well, then there's like one female playwright this season. It's like, oh, well, they have to be the best thing in the world. It's like, maybe they could be bad. Yeah. But if they're the only one, there's so much pressure to be like the token person. Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, that's a whole yeah. conversation. Oh, no, on and on about oh, no of course. It's, it's by being the only, the pressure of being good is um honestly unreachable it's un yeah. it's unlivable uh for as you said like how many men have been mediocre have been terrible and have continued to have chances and uh, mm-hmm. more opportunities to find maybe their success down the road like how many much as we love him like how many flops has Stephen Sondheim had and still gets to come back like that right. and granted he is yes he is a brilliant man yeah but you know, I've talked about this on the Sondheim series like the number of shows that came out while he was a writer like certain seasons you see where there's a work written by an African-American writer Mm -hmm. that does not have the same legacy as some of other Sondheim shows. And those were shows that would often make money their seasons when Sondheim's wouldn't. And it's Mm -hmm. like, what's the disconnect here, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah, yeah. Side note, in terms of the queer narrative, I just want to tell everybody right here, right now, I think one of the best uh, films about uh, gay men specifically is the birdcage, which is yeah, ri- which is technically written by a straight, uh, directed by a straight man, but written by Elaine May, mm. who took the French comedy and gave it such bite because mm. she's one of those brilliant people to ever be alive, and insight and humanity and nuance, mm-hmm. like it's, and that and like you wouldn't think of Elaine May to write a screenplay for Lacage, right? And honestly, I think her screenplay is better than Harvey Firestein's book for the musical Lacage. Mm. Which is just to say, once again, like, think like think outside the box with your creatives. Find people with different perspectives. Don't think right. about necessarily gender or ethnicity. Don't go with what you know. Mm-hmm. Go with... Just try other people. Yeah. Try other perspectives. Yeah. There's so many perspectives out in the world, you know? Yeah. Have we learned nothing from six? Yeah. <laughs> History is about whose perspective it comes from. Yeah. Uh. This has been lovely. It's been delightful. I've been enjoying this so thoroughly. Thank you for letting me speak so much and not <laughs> and not once going. Uh. <laughs> no, I'm having fun. I I love talking about musical theater. I mean, that's sort of all I do. <laughs> well, let's talk about something else then. How do you feel about trickle down economics? Oh, you know, it doesn't work, and capitalism is a lie. <laughs> Absolutely. You know who doesn't think that way? Cinderella and the Amazon. Oh movie. my God. Well, yeah, yeah, the Bezos project. Yeah, she Yikes. wants to contribute to. Well. To be fair, he did that not... That is the ultimate he, girl boss gatekeep gaslight. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, he did not produce it. Someone else produced it and then he bought it. Yeah. I, just, I don't want to make it sound like Kate Cannon was hired by Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos right, right, just right, went, right. oh, yes, of course. This falls into Amazon's narrative. Let's right, buy it. Right, right. Um, it still doesn't make it any less... Yeah, being a successful girl is finding out how you can make a lot of money. <laughs> yep, 100%. Uh, or in your case, how can I get married and make Matt Cobb like, have an existential crisis about it? on Instagram even uh, though he didn't know me until today <laughs> I mean that photo of you in your wedding dress I don't Aww. I don't want a wedding dress but I want your wedding dress thank you so much thank you you will be giving it to me before the year is out that's fair I just had it cleaned <laughs>
it's, it's pretty dirty. Have you had it taken out though? Because I don't know if you realize this, we're different body types. I'm a little... Oh, well, it can be taken out. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, I might need to take it out at this point. I was like, as soon as the wedding was over, I'm like, and I'm done working out. <laughs> Give me my cake, please. Yeah. <laughs> so... As we mentioned, the show did open to the Brooks Atkinson Theater, and I don't know if you read any of the reviews for it. I have not. They are extremely positive. Oh, good. Which is lovely. They yeah. should be, yeah. They are. And what I like about, first of all, many of the reviews, mm-hmm. white heterosexual men, so it is only frustrating in the sense of, like, we can have more gatekeepers you know, yeah, that's another review, yes. theater reviewing. That's just a whole other rabbit hole. But the same thing. It's like yeah. we just need to hear from other people. It's yeah. It's not necessarily the like. I don't want just. Pers- it's the same thing with history. Like yeah. history is only this point mostly been passed down by white men. So it's like the history of theater is often determined by the reviews. Mm-hmm. And if the only people getting to write reviews that are the big ones mm-hmm. are white men. Yeah. <sighs> what I will. What I will say is that history has become less kind to reviewers if that makes us feel any better about their legacy yeah. and that we only read reviews of shows anymore from the past to see like what people what the reviews were at the time of company like we don't yeah. care what brooks atkinson thought of company right we care about company yeah but it was like oh it's fun to see what he thought and then the, like if it's a bad review we go oh well you know fuck him right uh, but yes as we've learned with six it's not so much that like a perspective is bad but we just need more Mm -hmm. and again that can challenge the perspectives that have been the perspectives for so long yeah uh it is though very ironic that these older straight white men who were reviewing sex loved it so much and honestly got the gist of it of like what it was trying to do pretty well it's because i think it's really clear i think it's just like very it's that it just comes back to the lessons more thing like they're not trying to they are exactly what the show is exactly what it sets out to be and it does it exactly right, I think. Yeah. I just appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's reminds me... It's complicated. Uh, it's just fun. I just... It reminds me... These these reviews, understanding what the show is doing and yes. how well it does it, reminds me of a scene that makes me cry every time I watch it. It's in the Lego movie. Hear me out. Oh, Lego, no, I'm on board. The Lego movie is very good. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's when Will Ferrell realizes that his son is actually very creative and talented. Aww. And he thinks, at first he's like, you're messing with my stuff. And then he realizes, oh no, my son created all these things. Yeah. And he looks at him and he's like, you made all this? And then he gets down on his knees and he hugs him. Oh, It's someone who has like a very strategic, uh, structured way of looking at quality and mm-hmm. content and then expanding their mind a bit more, yeah. just a little bit to take in something different and how yeah. it affects them. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It makes me happy. Everyone watched the Lego movie. Oh, it's so good. It's a great movie. I mean, Chris Pratt, whatever, but he's yeah. wonderful in that film. Yeah. I think of it more as an Elizabeth Banks film, but yes. whatever. Yes, yes. And, and Alison Brie. Yeah. <laughs> God. You remind me a bit of Alison Brie. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. But like, in literally every role she's ever played. Not, yeah. not she's both. You're both Trudy in Mad Men and Annie on Community. I, I feel that very strongly. I feel those are, those would be good typecast parts for 100, 100%. <laughs> I would absolutely cast you as Annie in the community musical. Oh, yes. Let's try it. We have no Tony nominations yet for six as it has just come out. One of the reviews, I think it was the Washington Post, called it Spice Girls Meets the First Wives Club. And Mm. I was like, accurate. And that's a way to sell a million tickets. Yeah. 
at least for me. That's perfect for the marquee. Yeah. Uh, have you watched the first Wise Club? No. <gasps> You've never seen know, the first Wise Club. I know. I know. I know. I know. I mean, like, I know about it enough culturally, but like, I actually haven't sat down and watched it. I need to. I mean, obviously, I love Real Housewives, and of I feel course. like it's the vibe. Well. I mean, yeah, there's enough booze in there and some dancing, but it's very 90s. Yeah. Everyone is in it. Absolutely yeah. everybody. Yeah. And it's, it might be my favorite Sarah Jessica Parker performance of all time. Yeah. It's so good. Um, and they just, they, they wear all white at the end and dance in the street to You Don't Own Me. Uh. Like, it's so, it's amazing. I love it so much. Ariana Grande referenced it when she sang, I think, Thank You Next on Ellen DeGeneres, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so full tea, speaking of the lottery, mm. I ran into someone I know who works at Nederlander and I said, why am I having a hard time with the lottery? He goes, well, we don't have a ton of tickets for the lottery. Mm. And I go, why? And he says, because it has a $12 million advance. And he says, it has more money in the bank right now than Wicked and Lion King. Whoa. He says, and, the, and he, he said, I think after tonight, because this was on opening night, he's like, after tonight, I think it, that advance is going to like increase by a lot, wow. which I'm almost positive it has. Great. I'm so happy for them. That's great. And especially that's, after like... The disappointment of, like, missing opening night yeah. and then come back so triumphantly. Absolutely. And the yeah. reviewers all were like, thank God that this is, like, the first musical of the yeah. new season. Like, what a way to start things yeah. off. Like, that was the energy I felt at the previews. I was like, wow, this is very exciting. This is so good. How mm-hmm. exciting that this is so good. What's next? And then nothing was next. And now it's back. Thank you. Next. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I, I will say there's one last thing I want to say about the show that I thought was very funny is every time they come together to sing six yeah. in the show, they're like where they do like whatever, how many parts harmony is and they felt like six. Yeah. And then once Catherine Parr has her moment, her Alicia Keys moment, and they all realize what they've been doing, they go, huh, I guess because everyone only knows this as six and yeah it's, it's, that part's very funny it's so funny it's i like so it very cute. much yeah we appreciate it yeah um okay rapid fire questions for you it's mm. katie joe yes uh first question <clears throat> far too many notes for my taste if you had to cut one song from the show what would it be from six yeah um i the uh jane seymour song heart of stone yeah yeah yeah. I mean, you can't cut it. You can't cut anything. From you can't six. cut it because it is exactly. It's just so tight. But yeah. but yeah, I guess we're talking about have to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, have to. Yeah. What if I was like cut the opening number, just have it open with yeah. them like doing a monologue? And yeah. Then... <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, okay. Speaking of no, 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 no way. Scale of one to ten, one being no, 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 no way, and ten being now and forever. Where was where would you rate the show personally? Oh. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like an eight. It's very good. It's not very gonna be my favorite musical, but I think it's like really solid show and really mm-hmm. fun. And I will definitely like listen to it a lot and try to see it as much as I can. I'm gonna rate it a six. Oh, <laughs> no, just... I know. Wow, that was really right there, wasn't oh, it? That was simply too obvious. I just took it too seriously. <laughs> That's my drag name, simply too obvious. <laughs> but no, I would. I know. I would say probably an eight as well. I think. Similar to Mamma Mia, this is a show that knows exactly what it is yeah. and is very intelligent about Mama doing Mia's it. Mamma Mia's really good. I watched the movie recently in, in quarantine and I was like, oh, this is really good. Because again, yeah, it just it's just fun and it yeah. knows it knows what it is. And does all the work for you. Yeah. That's what, it, like, if you're going to be that kind of amount of fluff, don't ask me we to. Don't, I don't always want to go to the theater and come out like, I'm like doubled over crying. No, I love fluff, but I, I what I. You know, sometimes you want to go fun. I, but I I need my fun to, like, still be well done. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't, good. Yeah, don't feed me, like... Well, because I don't like heartless, you know, 
like dumb like you know so many musicals now are like don't put don't give me a bowl of almond milk and tell me it's whipped cream you know yeah. like i need you to actually whip the cream for me yeah um and it i think needs mama, to be good yeah well done fun mama mia and six whip the cream yes that's what they do yeah. that's my new that's my new phrase for that they yeah, whip yeah. the cream they don't just hand you a bowl of milk yeah. uh next question <clears throat> i dreamed a dream cast who would you like to see in this show wow okay well there jesse J. yeah would love to see jesse J in this show and we we know she's a musical theater girl mm-hmm. Uh, all, of our, all of our pop princesses. Yeah. Um, a lot of my, like, close and personal friends who are really good singers I would like to see in <laughs> Name it. Name them. Name them, girl. Caitlin Doak. She should be in there. She would be an incredible genius. Oh, actually, this is, like, she really looks like the actress playing her now. Ooh. Caitlin, you need to go in for this. Mm-hmm. She actually probably has. I think she's sung songs from the show before. Um, but, yeah. No, she... I hope she gets in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jesse J and Caitlin Doe. <laughs> Will we do Jesse J and Waitress? Will we see that? Will we like that? Oh my god. I mean, I don't know if she can act. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. She acted in the shadows for so long, <laughs> acting like she was just a ghostwriter, and then she popped down and went, I'm here. I want to hear her sing, Waitress. Yeah. I mean, I. you know what? I would buy a ticket. You, I, I mean, I would buy a ticket to anything she was in regardless. Sure. <laughs> Jesse J in An American in Paris. Yes. <laughs> uh, last question. Rainbow High Spectacle. Mm. Does this show need production value to work? Um, no, but it it is part of what is so fun about it. Sure. Like the full like pop concert of it. Yes. But I could see it like if I saw this at Fringe in a basement. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, it was awesome. Yeah. I I would say if you're not going to have any kind of production value, keep everything very tight. Tight mm-hmm. choreo, tight vocals. Well, like it would I wouldn't mind like I guess if I it was like even if it was like a guerrilla production. Yeah. You got to you would I would want the, the to know that they were doing the best they could with what they had to achieve the vibe of like we're at a pop concert. One hundred percent. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like totally as long agree. as the band is still on stage and they have the handheld microphones and they're like they put together their own fiercest outfits. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah. It's not a spectacle itself. It's just it's. You need to take the audience. I will say away. like you need and like obviously, it does need to be a vocal spectacle. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, they all do have to be like crazy, crazy singers. Mm-hmm. I do think that element you couldn't take away. No. Which feels, I mean, obviously, but like, like I'm, I'm not gonna be in this show because no. I'm not like a crazy riffer belter person. But that's I'm a, I'm at peace with that because it's like this show is not for me to be in. No, I'm, I was thinking to myself, um, even though none of these women are pop women, I'm just thinking of like musical theater actresses in their youth who I would like to see in this show. So I was oh. like, I would love to see a young Judy Kuhn sing Heart of Stone. Oh, Kuhn. yeah. But I mean, my listeners are tired of hearing me talk about Kuhnsy. Uh Young Patti LuPone, like Avita era, I would like to hear do Catherine Howard. Uh-huh. Uh, a young Melba Moore. She would be my Catherine That's, of Aragon. I mean, that would definitely be very funny. It, that actually does make me start to think, though, about this show's staying power mm-hmm. because it is so modern and it is so, like now like a lot of the musical references Mm -hmm. so i do wonder where like is it gonna have the legacy of some classic musical theater shows in terms of like 
Just the music is so sure. period specific to now. Yeah. I think it could. I think it may not feel as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It may not feel as vibrant 20 mm-hmm. years from now, but I think it's going to be such a time capsule of sound that yeah. that it'll still have at least a nostalgia factor to it. And the yeah. energy is so infectious that that'll carry over. Katie, this has been lovely. It's been so lovely. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you if you want them to find you? Yeah, so I'm on uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all those at Katie Joyo Faux Show. Katie Joyo was my original AIM screen name, um, but that was taken, so I added on the Faux Show when I joined Instagram in like God 2013, and that has stayed. So that's my handle. Um, and yeah, you can find me there. I, I, I was, I would plug some shows, but I, I, this is going to come out in November and I don't know where I'll be or what I'll be doing. So just follow me on Instagram and I'll tell you where I am. Looking forward. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow me guys, just Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. Uh, if you like the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, give us a nice five-star rating. You can write a little review. If you don't like the podcast, if you hate my voice and everything I have to say, you can write a review telling me so. Just make sure it's five stars. Algorithm is so real. We are going to be taking a little hiatus, about a month break, before we go into the next series. Now, we are recording this in the first week of October, and I don't know for sure what the next series is going to be, so I'm going to have future Matt take over for a brief minute to inform the listeners what the next series is. Take it away, future Matt. Really, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. Hey, everybody. So, in January, we will be starting a new miniseries called The Tesori Hour. That's right, we are doing all five Broadway musicals of one Janine Tesori. Uh, Somewhere in the middle of January, we will be jamming out with Janine. It'll be a wonderful time. I hope you guys enjoy it. I know I will. We'll be covering Thoroughly Modern Millie, Carolina Change, Shrek, Violet, then Fun Home. There will be another miniseries after that one. Uh, I do have the theme. I don't have the title. So you'll hear the exact title of that somewhere in the middle of the Tesori Hour. By the way, something that uh, Past Matt forgot to do because he is a sexy little dum-dum is he forgot to rank the works of this series at the end of this episode. So I'm going to do it for him. On the straight play front, at number six, we have Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. At number five, we have Warhorse. Number four, Equus. Number three, The History Boys. Number two, Noises Off. Number one, The Pillow Man. All of these are really uh, wonderful plays. History Boys gets me in the field. Noises Off might be the best comedy of the last hundred years. The Pillow Man is just brilliant. One of the best plays of this century. If you aren't familiar with it, get into it. Get into all of Martin McDonough. Next up, our musicals. I will be going, uh, yeah, I guess in ascending order again. Fun, right? So, how many do we have here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We have twelve here. That's right. Yes, we got twelve. <clears throat> At number twelve, we have Blood Brothers. There are some worthy things about it, but overall, it's uh, honestly it's just a bit of a mess for me. Act one in particular is just real rough stuff. 
Number 11, Sunset Boulevard. Sorry, gays. Brilliant movie, kind of bad show. Uh, number 10 is Cats. Say what you will, some of that music slaps, and that original production is still one of the greatest spectacles I've ever seen. Uh, number 9 is Oliver. It's perfectly fine. The movie's just a lot better. Number 8, Billy Elliot. Uh, really strong book and a decent score. I would like to see another production at some point so I can properly judge. Until then, it's a really solid 8. Number 7 is Phantom of the Opera. I have issues with the show, but damn if it doesn't work and that uh, Broadway production is still pretty spectacular. Number 6. Oh, number 6 is 6. I did not plan that. That was just a happy coincidence. Number five is Mamma Mia. I think it's a little more eternal than six will be, but hey, that's me predicting the future, and I've been wrong almost every time. Uh, number four is Avita Beltathon, thrilling theatricality. Can't really say it's a good musical. It's not necessarily well structured, and the show has no interest in any of the nuance of Ava Perone as a human being just her, you know, Joan Collins and Dynasty fabulosity. Number three is Me and My Girl. It is so much fun. Really, guys, look into it. Number two is Matilda, one of the smartest, most creative musicals of this century. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. My House and Quiet are two of the greatest songs written in, for musicals of the last 10 years. And number one is Les Miserables. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, always, I will stick up for that show not that it needs my help, but I always will. And that's it. Thank you for the listening to this list, guys, for my own personal views. This is not by any means law or fact. I mean, a little bit, because as we all know, I've got perfect taste. But other than that, you know, listen and then disagree and tell me. All right, back to uh, past Matt. Bye. Thanks, future Matt. You sound really hot today. I hope you, uh, I hope you uh, feel good about yourself. Your bicep curls are really working. Katie, we close out every episode with a Broadway diva, usually one that's connected to the show we're talking about. But unfortunately, mm. none of the women on the Broadway cast of Six mm. uh, are recorded with the show. Mm. And I'm trying to think. Well, I guess um, Adriana Hicks is with Color Purple, but she doesn't really have much of a solo. Uh, I'm also looking. Th- I got. Let me look through who we've closed out with. Uh, are there any divas in particular, Katie, that you love? Any Broadway divas? I mean, I've. I love to do. I love to do a Bernie impression. I love to do an Alice Ripley impression. I love mm-hmm. to do a Patti Lapone impression. Um, but if I was like, we've done every diva except them. Yeah. <laughs> After hundred and twenty something episodes, we've done all of them, but <laughs> Patti and Bernie and Rip. I know, but I love. I mean. I love them all. How can you not? Um, who have I not had? So wait, are we singing or are you no, going to play I, a clip? I'm going to play a clip in post. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So I was ready to whip out my impression. I mean, you can whip out your impression if you want. No, it's uh, if, like, should my system crash or something? <laughs> I, let's see. I'm going to say, I don't know who else. Ariana Grande was in 13. Yes, she was. And she's obviously very clearly referenced in six she is very much so and she's done a lot of covers okay you know what i'm gonna do because six reference and also it's the whole show is structured off of her concert and she did do a musical uh-huh famously dream girls yes miss um 
Bay Ones cannolis, <laughs> otherwise known as Beyonce Knowles. Miss Beyonce Knowles Carter. Yes, we'll yes. have her. We'll have her do Dream Girls. That is actually wow. a drag queen name that I really want to do. Um, Bay Ones cannolis, but it's literally spelled Beyonce Knowles. Right. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is very silly. <laughs> I'm I'm fun to be around, Katie Joe. Yes. I'm I'm I'm. I, the joke is that this whole episode is going to just get deleted and you're just going to be my friend. It's all been, <laughs> all been a gaslighting a experience. I love it. Real boss gaslighting into you being on here and now you're just my friend. Okay, so <laughs> thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, thank you for dealing with all of our silliness. I had a great time. I hope you all did too. Check us back in the new year. Have a great thanks. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Yes. I hope you have a great um, December holidays and a lovely New Year. We're Year's. manifesting it from the past. Yes, we for are. You to have a lovely holiday season. Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah, we can't wait to see you in 2022. January is going to be lit. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. And Yay. we'll see you in a month. Take us away, Yonce. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.